This episode of Chicago's Bravest Story is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Corey, you want to add to that? Oh, I could. You can. That's, you that's how you start off. You say one <laughs> sentence. That's how you start off. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep that. That's the... <laughs> All right. Now I know. All right. That was. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, that was brought to you by yeah, Sports she's and Ortho. <laughs> Visit the website. Google it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Take two. This this episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Uh, today with us is Dahlia Fami from Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Hi, guys. How are you? Hey, Dahlia. Um, so I was looking over. You guys have some cool stuff you're working with over there. Um, what kind of equipment do you guys use at Sports and Ortho that's different than the other places? Well, you know, I figured if I'm going to rehab some firefighters and police officers, we better have things that they use. So we actually have drag dummies. We've got stretchers. I've got my own fire engine on the south side. We've got some ladders and some hoses and um, a couple of punching bags. Yeah. So you're that Vince that you've even got a couple of Steve <laughs> over there. Oh, I can't, I can't say his last name. Uh, <laughs> you've we'll got a couple of Steves over there. a couple of Steves. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and, and looking over, like, your your staff over there is trained incredibly. Yeah, we, like, really, really highly train our staff to know how the body moves in motion. So we just, you know, spend a lot of money training them, making sure that they're well-trained to take care of all the patients that we have, but especially those fire and police officers that we treat. Well, Dahlia, I know that uh, you guys have been around for 17 years, and we talked at you got your start with your first actual patient was a Chicago fireman. Yeah. You know, we want to uh, let everybody know that if you come to sports and ortho physical therapy, that is, it is covered by our city program for rehabilitation. Absolutely. Yep. We'd love to have everybody come see us. Awesome. Dal, you guys have seven locations. Uh, where can people find you guys at? Well, they can look us up at sportsandortho.net. All our locations are listed there. That's probably the best way to find us. Go check out Dali over there, um, sportsandortho.net. So welcome to Chicago's Bravest Stories. We are going to pick up where we left off, hypothetically speaking, <laughs> with uh, the Brian Wozniki episode. Uh, this is going to be the back half of where we left you hanging from uh, part one and two. Yeah. Uh, Corey's going to run the show here. Possibly but part three, first part three, this first might, ever part three. <laughs> this might be, <laughs> let's make it part three. And, yeah. and very likely part four. This will... Uh, this is going to go to part four, without um, a doubt. And, and again, guys, please uh, please be sure to visit our website. Um, check our merchandise on there. Um, it's it's real important to keep our operation going, um, to visit the website, to um, get on whatever platform you guys are listening to, and um, like and subscribe and leave a review, even if you hate 
um, Vince specifically. Um, <laughs> that's that's fine. I, I would understand. Um, but uh, you know again, it's very visit important. Visit it just out of spite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or me. You know, I, I guess there might be people that might not like me. No, um, impossible. <laughs> so, so yeah, again, we'll... Uh, Thank you very much for uh, for listening, and Brian. After after you, please, sir. Well, let's <laughs> let's reintroduce who we have here. Um, back, we have the, we got the same crew back. Yep. So go ahead and introduce these guys, or yep. you know what, Brian, go ahead and introduce yourself, and we'll go down the line here. Uh, Brian Wasnicki again. Uh, just wanted to take the opportunity to finish up this story. Uh, I'm a firefighter with Engine One Seventeen in the 18th Battalion. Uh, before that, I did some suburban time fighting fire in uh, Lincolnwood, and then uh, military before that. Yeah. Okay. Then we we also have uh, the esteemed Mr. Daniel Trader. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, what? How does how does fucking Jocko do his That's thing? What he does. Is that what he yeah. does? Is yeah. that? T- oh. <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've got Bravo Alfredo over here. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, Al, also back again, Lieutenant from Buffalo Grove. Um, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming back. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna try and steer uh, steer the topic so that we're not so that we're not going too far off topic, especially me. Um, but through some clever editing, a lot of my nonsense got taken out. Um, we, uh, yeah, so so jump right back into it, Bri. Um, can we talk about, uh, I guess maybe it'd be nice to just start off, like why you decide to even do this podcast with us. Yeah, which well, because grateful you, you reached out to us. You had been listening to the podcast, and this was something you wanted to do. And, you know, I know we didn't talk about the why. Yeah, so, I, uh, and I was kind of... Laughing about that after I listened to the first the first two episodes, I a uh, couple parts here and there I threw reasons in, but uh, I never really started off with explaining why. Uh, number one is for my kids. I, I want them to to know some of the, most of the stories, all the stories. <laughs> um, try and get all of them out. Um, when I was a kid, I always envied my. I know I talked about my uncle and everything to be a non-veteran. I have a fairly significant uh, military share in my family. I got an uncle that was a POW in Vietnam an uncle that was wounded in Vietnam. I got a, three grandpas. Uh, one was a Marine that I didn't even know that he was a Marine in World War II. My grandpa on my mom's side was a, a Navy veteran from Okinawa in World War II. And I just found out like two things, two or three Thanksgivings ago, uh, my grandpa on my dad's side, uh, I knew he was a, a D-Day and uh, Omaha Beach survivor. I thought he was wounded at D-Day, but, and then went home. I just found out like three, th- two or three Thanksgivings ago that he was wounded, stayed in and stayed in the entire Europe campaign. I, did, I don't know any of these stories and it always upset me. And now none of them are around to, uh, to get the stories. So I, I don't want that to happen for my kids. So that's absolutely the number one reason. Um, number, number one reason why we also, uh, we talked a little bit about some of the hard stuff about Fallujah, about Dave and Tom and Tom after Fallujah and everything like that. For some reason, now I, I struggled with some of these stories, and that's kind of expected. I knew that was going to happen. I'm going to struggle here today too. But uh, overall, I it's kind of strange. I actually handle this stuff pretty well, uh, and I, there's no way to kind of explain this. And I, I feel like recently, within the past, I don't know, it's about a couple of years, like the veteran suicides have gone up like crazy. So I figured may, maybe somebody will be listening and. Maybe something something helps somebody. If not, okay. If it does, fantastic. Then it, then the whole thing's worth it. So I, I, that's 
the side reason. I'm not. I'm, I'll be selfish. The the main reason is for me, mm. for, for my kids and my grandkids to know my to know the stories, and to talk about the guys that should be talked about. I can't sit here and and explain all the guys that I know that were killed, and it, it kills me because I don't. They don't. They all deserve it, but I, I couldn't tell you the actual number. Um, it's probably somewhere in the forties at this point since I started up until now after I got out. Uh, but I want their names out. So that, those are the main like three reasons. But really, just get these guys' names out. Tell the other guys' stories that that can't be told. And then, uh, what well, was just the it kids. was just the anniversary of a couple of them, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, January third was one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Eden Pearls, his uh, his day just I don't even, I don't even remember to be honest with you. Um, his day just passed too. It was like right after recording, and I just kind of like like oh wow, that kind of <laughs> hit me like a baseball bat in the morning. Like oh wow, we were just talking about this. Yeah, it, it's nuts. <laughs> and Tom's like... always sucks. Tom's always tough. The group, uh, the old pl- platoon text message fires up once, twice a year. You know, and, oh, yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, thank God there's no. Yeah. thank God there's no. Well, now request three, now on three, that thing. now it fires up three times a year, but we'll get to that. But uh, yeah, so it, it's. At the same time, though, I mean, as, as hard as it is to talk about some of these guys, they, they deserve to be talked about, you know? So yeah, those sure. are the reasons. And I feel like I should have started episode one with that, but sure. we just dove right into it. So, Well, and, and it's, I, I don't know how much, what your expectations were coming in here or even what mine were. I was were, terrified. But, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know that it seems weird because once you get on this thing, it, it definitely seems to take once we start BS around, it's kind of like hanging out at the bar. Like you start, oh, like I, I, I always am amazed by how close I am with, again, Brian, I saw you a handful of times before this and I'm like, I'm like, you're my buddy, Brian now, you yeah. know, like right. I, it's, right. it's weird. It's well, like, it's, it's when you guys came in here and yeah. we, we poured a, you know, a glass of whiskey together. It was, it's like everybody's sitting in the same seats as we yeah. were last. It legitimately feels like we're just picking up where we left off a couple weeks ago. I'm right? actually wearing the same clothes. <laughs> yeah, so. I didn't know if it was going to be edited together. Or yeah. so. The same, we're just starting the off same sober. not underwear right now. <laughs> we're just starting off sober again. Uh-huh. Just to add, kind of piggyback on that, that for me, all of my relationships with guys that I serve with is like that. Yeah. That we'll, we'll sit down after 10 years and bust balls about the same dumb shit I did. <laughs> to, you know. Yeah. Remember when you did that stupid thing? Really? Right. Right. We're, I've had three children since then, man. I, like I was sharing before we got started, uh, it sounds kind of weird talking about the guy I can't talk about again, but uh, my buddy, like we randomly uh, call each other when we were talking. I told him about what I did. I sent it to him, and he was telling me how awesome it was and how he was thinking about doing that when he gets out. So, I mean, this is – is pretty special experience as completely uncomfortable as it was. And when Vince, when he told me it was out, I was like, I told you, I was literally <laughs> sick to my stomach. I had to go downstairs. I'm like, Oh God, what did yeah. I do? <laughs> I wanted to record this for like my, I want my son and daughter to see this when they're like 40, not for like everybody right. else. <laughs> you're just letting everybody else listen to what you're recording for your family. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. That's all. And not and not to distract from any of that either, but like I know we've talked about too. Um, you know, we, we had uh I don't know if you for those of people that may have listened before, Tracy Kenny was mm-hmm. big, yeah. Tracy Kenny and mm-hmm. um uh, Chief Tracy Kenny. Correct. Um but like this is silly as you know, there the stigma is around um not you know, like, like not giving respect to mental wellness. Like this is something where, 
you know, especially like like our dads, like this is how our dads dealt with problems. Like they went to the pub, they talked it out, and, and it really helped them out mentally. And like this is something where, you know, again, I, I'm I'm not sure if it felt good or if it felt bad or whatever after the it felt you know, great until yeah. it came out. Until <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, then, but, but it, is, you went I mean, through the process again. Important. You know, yeah, you, like, were, you were nervous. Over. Absolutely. Then you listened to it. You started. I'm feeling. nervous now. We're starting yeah. up again. And I'm like, oh god, here we go. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Right. I'll take my shirt off. I'll, well, I'll hope don't. you feel way more confident going into this thing. If you took your pants off, you'd feel way more confident about. But you can't see below the table. That's why um, I sit in the high chair. That's right why we got the camera. You know? um, all right. So, so yeah. Get into it, again, Corey. Where, where, are we at? where um, are we at? Well, let's pick up. Uh, I mean, you you had a, a vast array of missions that you were that you were dealing with. Um, raids, observation. Um, well, where where behind, did we leave like, off chronologically so on the last one? I was one. laughing about that. So we we finished up in, I think it was in the Fallujah area, and then... And then fast track through your city And then we just jumped over like 15 years. Yeah, fast track through your actual job (laughs) that you currently own. So I wanted to kind of cover what kind of missions we did. And then uh, some definitely, uh, we're going to talk about some of my my struggles with the mental health. And so that's going to be tough. So you have to bear with me on that Mm -hmm. one. Um, Just because the reason I want to go over the missions is uh, two reasons, really. Just, again, to explain to my children what, what I did. But the same thing is I, I felt a little bit, and I think I'll get critiqued for this, um, kind of selling, like, the lovable loser story. Like, <laughs> I told of, like, when guys were killed and guys were wounded. Well, like, we, like, we did absolutely fantastic while yeah. we were there. Like, we, like, 98% success rate. We were, like, completely successful while we were there. Um, so I want to talk about some of the missions we did. Uh, the main mission we had was the raid, and we, we've covered that pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. Besides the Fallujah mission, um, the high-value targets, and when we would have the intel, we would go find them, or we would find intel and do our own types of raids. And so just just for, uh, like, to bring people back to where they are, like, this, this point in the mission where um, – this is your second tour, mm-hmm. right? And yes. uh, chronologically, what, what what year you think you put at? This is two thousand four and five. Okay, all right. So back at it. You're still with your um, you've fourth is this platoon, post? fourth platoon, um, second force recon. Okay. Um, still, majority of the guys you've been with for the first tour and the second tour. No, new guys in the second tour. New guys. Yeah. Okay. You're, I mean, you're you're. I mean, I don't want to say a veteran, but you're, you know. You, I was. You've yeah, got yeah. the time. It was you're, weird. You're the I senior was, guy uh, almost, right? No, that's the funny thing was uh, in the Marine Corps, I, I was a PF, private first class and a Lance Corporal in the first first deployment. And then we come back, and now I'm getting ready to cycle into, like, the non-commissioned officer, the corporal, and sergeant role. And I left. I went to recon, and then you're back to nobody. So oh, now really? I'm the corporal in recon, but a corporal in recon is like a private in the infantry. So I right. I, yeah, I never so I skipped the... that leadership role and I went back to the junior guy again. This happens uh, a lot to me yeah. throughout the rest of my life. <laughs> trust me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's definitely different. I didn't have that that uh, leadership. I mean, there's every Marine has leadership. Right. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Absolutely. But I didn't have that team leader. I never had a team leader build it or anything like that. So it was okay. definitely a different experience. Dynamic. Leaving the it. unit. Did, um, did you get new guys in the middle of? Being there, I, it's funny that you asked that because that's something I'm actually going to talk about. Okay. Yes, uh, not the first time, right? But on the second deployment, we had to. We, um, I, I don't know the at actual number, but we had well more Purple Hearts for the platoon than we had members in the platoon. Um, I had 
on the second deployment, I had two. Jimmy had two. Frank had three. Frank always gave me a hard time because it took me two deployments to get three, and he, he, he took him one deployment. <laughs> like, That's not a good thing. He's <laughs> bust your balls about the purpose. <laughs> um, and then uh, I, I think Shep might have had one or two. I, I, I could, yeah, I, I think there may be one or two guys that didn't get one in the whole platoon. Uh, oh. I think we sent home five guys, and then we actually had, I don't want to call them replacements, but uh, come before January 3rd, before the Tom Hauser raid, we had replacements that, now that I think it was probably their first combat experience with the unit. Um, my roommate, green, Scott, green guys. my roommate, Scott, was uh, one of the newer guys. Um, which is kind of funny because the last night before we deployed, uh, we had a barracks party where we were, like, burning mattresses and anarchy symbols on top of the barracks and stuff. <laughs> and uh, he had a crossbow. We were shooting the crossbow at birds flying. <laughs> and uh, I dry-fired and I screwed up his, his whole crossbow. The whole thing blew up. So I put Standard out, issue military no. crossbow. No. <laughs> <laughs> I put a note. I put, I put it on his bed with a note saying, sorry, going to Iraq. <laughs> fix it later. I, I think I left like 60 bucks or something. Whatever I had on it, I threw it in the bed. Wake comes walking to the tent a few months later. Like, hey, buddy, sorry about your crossbow. <laughs> I mean, they took care of it, right? Yeah. The 60? He goes, no? Yeah, it was like a $20 <laughs> fix. You're good. But uh, so, yeah, a couple guys that are new to the unit just back past recon school came um, and they were there for that for that raid. So th- that actually should have been told with that raid because that was significant enough because that was these guys' first action with our platoon. Oh, yeah. Um, even despite those guys, like you're, I mean, you're, you're not the barn boss of the crew, but no, like never, yeah. all those guys, I mean, that kind of, it definitely sets the stage for what's going on in the war at this point that yeah. like, you've got, despite all this nonsense that you, that you've seen, like you're still not the, the most badass guy in this crew. Not like you Yeah. yeah. Wow. But did you feel a responsibility to bring these new guys, get them up to speed because you guys were going to go, like, into firefights with the these nice new guys. The nice thing about the recon community is these guys weren't coming to us like babies. I mean, they, they were good guys. I mean, especially Scott, my roommate. He was, he's been in recon longer than I was. He was just new to the platoon. Right. So, and Scott's run, he, one of the guys running the Raider Battalion now. He's retiring soon. Um, but So you're getting guys with actual combat experience? I don't, I couldn't tell you if they had combat experience. I'd probably not because it was still towards the beginning of the war. Yeah. But definitely training, training and uh, and time experience for sure. But uh, combat experience, Maybe. probably not. So you didn't you didn't really feel that pressure to that you had to take these guys and get them caught up to speed and and they they already done they no, already did workups a lot of them prior were better to getting that. A yeah. lot of them were better than me, and uh, it wasn't my position. I mean, we all worked together. I mean, we have team leaders and assistants. Well, we didn't have assistants and leader, but somebody stepped up. Um, John Boy took over that role, but. Uh, it, it never played out like that. No, I didn't have to take anybody under my wing. Absolutely not. They were just another one of the guys. And it was actually a pretty flawless uh, what's what transition. Transition. Or transition thing, yeah. yeah. It was very, very simple. Cool. So um, so this raid. Sorry to bring it back. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about one of the bad yeah, ones again. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been a while since to say you've Let's start with the worst raid right. you guys had. Like yeah. right. I think yeah. you've had enough time off yeah. the hook. Put right. it back on, Corey. Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. The uh, the missions I wanted to go over, though, I, I just kind of wanted to explain uh, what they were and what we did. I mean, we already went over the raid. The observation one, that was, I mean, 
it is what it is. Uh, we would uh, hide out, like do our build our hides and far off of roads and watch for IEDs, watch for people putting in IEDs or any intel, mostly like an intel gathering thing. Uh, those would be anywhere from two to five or six days, depending on what and where. The um, and it was just intelligence gathering yeah, at that point. Yeah, okay. which is a classic recon mission, reconnaissance. I mean, that's that's the definition. The uh, it's one of the longer, boring ones, but it's definitely important because I mean, we took it very seriously because it, it kept the roads safe. I mean, the grunts and all the supply routes are going down these roads. This isn't something you just. It's not a bullshit mission. It's it's real. You know, we actually did get one guy planning an IED. I I, I don't know what I was thinking. This is so bad. <laughs> oh. uh, and uh, we got him, but the ID was still in the hole, so we had to call out the ID explosives guys to come blow it up. And we're still on our hide site. And uh, I got this plan. We have a satellite phone for my team. I'm like, I'm going to call. I'm, I can't call my mom. She'll freak out. <laughs> so I go, I'm like, my boy Mike would be upset. I'm like, I'm going to call Chris. I go to call Chris, and I'm trying to time it. He's to an what, idiot. He'll love this. He'll, he'll get a kick out of it in the long run. Yeah. It never worked out, but I tried to call them when they're going to blow up the ID, like a control blow. So I could be like, I got to go, bye, and hang up on them. <laughs> <laughs> the, the timing didn't work out. This, was, uh, by the look of Dan Trader, he does not approve of this. <laughs> not the most professional moment. Number one, you're not supposed to be on any cellular devices. Number one. <laughs> we weren't very close. There's, there's going to be, there's gonna be right up in your bin after this. We're about 800 sure. yards away, and they were sending a robot up there. Take it yeah, easy. fuck you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Not Did my it? most professional moment. I actually was never planning on telling that story. It just kind of popped in my head uh, when we started talking about it. <laughs> Did it take them a long-ass time to get out there? Oh, brutal. Awful, I mean, we right? were, probably about a couple, four or five hours, yep. but we were we were there for does the long the, haul anyway. So. Just watching Those are guy. Navy guys, right? Or does do, uh, do the Marines have their own uh, EOD guys? I'm drawing a blank. I think we do. I thought, like, the the Navy was mostly No, I bet you it's Navy. I, you know I what? know I, for I, a fact that I feel Marines like, have their own EOD. Okay, thank you. I'm, I don't know who came for yours, but I know for a fact that Marines okay. have their own I was going to say, I'm drawing a blank. I feel like I should have known this. So I know we had uh, EOD attachments to, like, Force Recon teams, but for some reason I'm drawing a blank. Oh, they must have been Marines then. Okay. So you pretended to get blown up. Uh it, nothing happened. <laughs> the timing wasn't right. I hung but, it, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Right, That's right. for goddamn sure. <laughs> and uh, so, what's what's your setup on these on these observation missions? Like, how are you guys? Okay. Lined um, up? We had a. Well, it depends where we were at the deployment. Early on, we had six guys. We ended up having four guys towards the end, but uh, we'd have at least one sniper rifle. Everyone had an M4. Uh, guys could carry their forty fives on those missions if they wanted. Um, usually, usually guys didn't, not for those kinds of missions. Um, depending if it was in a building, we had the 50 cal Sasser sniper rifle, but we didn't use that entirely too much unless it was like a long observation post. Uh, we'd load up our packs, uh, minimal food, mostly like snacks and stuff and just heavy, heavy ammo. Cause you guys were, yeah. were very likely after this was done, heading back to right. Base. Cause we're in the middle at that for those missions, you're kind of in the middle of nowhere okay. and you'll have a react force, but it could be five minutes. It could be 45 minutes. It all depends on where the mission is. So we went very heavy on ammo for those and just kind of snacks and food and stuff like that. Enough to enough stuff to cover us up. Uh, we'd carry, uh, an escape and evasion in E and E kit. Uh, 
That's if something like everything went to shit and we had to leave. We had to okay. find something. It was like whether find the clear, closest border, closest base, something like that. Um, we we carry. Go ahead. Did you guys have a sixty or a two forty Bravo? Two forty golf. Same golf. same gun. Okay. We call them golf. You call them Bravo. What about a, a sixty millimeter mortar? No, we Clay didn't. Mortars, no, we actually we didn't carry. We had the two forty nine saw. We actually you didn't carry the uh, the two forty golf on those missions. So Dan, did you ever go out with an E and E kit? Oh yeah. Yes. So what, everybody. What does. was what was in your E and E kit? Was yeah, ours? let's compare this. Yeah, oh, let's compare this. Fairly creative. Money. Yeah. yeah? Okay. This is, I mean, what we're looking at. American the, money. Yeah. 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 And w- what did you have, Brian? Like, American money. Um, survival, regular survival kit, fire stuff, which you're not, I mean, you're not going to start a fire if you're trying to hide, but uh, just survival stuff. Uh, the number one thing we had, uh, we all had the, uh, I'm going to say, so it's not politically correct, the Haji female dress. Okay. Burka. Uh, is it? Is it actually? I mean, yeah. you can call it whatever you want. It's a Haji dress, the female one, all black. Where you just basically had sorry, we just basically had the square kill box around the eyes, mm-hmm. the uh, breast implants. The uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, because it co- it's a it's a gown, it's a dress, so it covers everything. So right. you can go with your plates and your in an M4 under there, and you want to. Is there to, is is it specific? Well, yeah, because because it's only the women that wear the, the sherpa, right? They the guys wear the dress, but it's just like a. Right, just up to the yeah. neck, right? Like yeah. those These, the women face. are fully covered. It's just their eyes showing. Gotcha. So that's what we, we had that. If This is all extreme worst sure. case scenario. Yeah. We never had to use it, thank God. But uh, we definitely had that. And I actually, now that it came up, it's kind of funny. I actually carried an American flag, which might be kind of counterproductive if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, that's not going to go. Um, but the reason was, and this actually turns into a fairly kind of cool story. I, I carried it after Nazaria, the friendly fire incident. So I could always That's be like, fair. hey, jag off, sure. America. <laughs> you didn't think that they'd be like, look at that son of a bitch. He tore a flag off yeah. of something. Like, <laughs> that <laughs> sneaky <laughs> motherfucker. I get saw that. the same guy in Nazarene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I got his ass too. <laughs> so not letting this guy the go cool thing a second about that time. Was, and it wasn't for years later. Uh, somehow the story came up. And I met a guy, uh, Fireman Pat McCauley. He's like real big at helping veterans and stuff. And the flag thing took off. Uh, it ended up flying in Marine One with the president. It flew over Ground Zero, uh, multiple missions over Holy Afghanistan and refueling shit. missions. I, he's got a list. I, there's so many places this thing's been, this actual flag, just wow. because I, I didn't realize what I was carrying at the time. This is just the life-saving <laughs> equipment. You know? So it's yeah. pretty pretty kind of cool. You know, I completely yeah. forgot about that. I guess so he, probably find he, out where that is. Here's the big distinction. Dan, how much money did you have in your E&E kit? What was the dollar amount oh, worth remember. getting you to safety? Do you recall? I want to say a thousand. Oh, what about you? Hundreds. No, I say it could have been two hundred for us. No kidding, that was he's it? worth more than we, we had. Are. We had a bounty. <laughs> Marines aren't worth that much. We had a bounty on our heads yeah. of like pictures of us with with me and the dog and the guys with the beards, and we had the dog. Did that yeah. pinpoint you? Yeah. So we had uh, Mo. We'll call him Mo. Um, he was Egyptian. He's American, mm-hmm. but he's Egyptian. He's from New York, New York accent. Yeah, yeah. But, just he, spoke, but he spoke yeah. Arabic. We were doing raids, and like I said we were extremely successful. They knew who we were. We were the guys with the pistols because not everyone carries 45s on their hips for the raids. And uh, we're sitting there getting ready to interrogate this guy, and he looks up, and Mo's talking to him in Arabic. And now Mo's a Marine. He's not mm-hmm. like an interpreter or attached. He's, oh, yeah. He's a yeah. force recon Marine. He's dressed, dressed in the night. And the guy, perfect English, looks up. He goes, oh, you're the Egyptian. 
God oh, that's damn. not cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's not cool. He was he, oh, he was seeing red for sure, but that was also kind of a, kind of cool too at the same oh, time. Yeah. Oh yeah, mother. Yeah, yeah. You feel like a yeah, I, I'm him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we he had uh, I, we never heard like all of us, but definitely definitely Mo. But I guess like the dog would definitely pinpoint you for sure. Well, I mean, Dan pretty much said like Waz said six inches. And Dan pretty much said six and a quarter. You know, like that's 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 what just went down. <laughs> so, um, He's worth a grand. I'm worth a dollar twenty-five. Yeah. Okay. That's I wanted a better to analogy. piggyback something on the flag thing that we had flags, and I actually gave mine after this this ish, this last episode because you wore the Cubs hat. Um, I had given mine to a guy named Andrew Berlin, who was part owner of the Cubs, and and he we told him to watch or to listen to this podcast specifically because of the Cubs and your connection <laughs> with the Cubs hat. What a crazy connection from yeah. a small world. What a sweetheart you are, Daniel. Maybe we'll get, <laughs> maybe we'll get that flag flown at Wrigley Field. Oh, boy. Ah, see, what oh. I did, see what I did there? Oh, <laughs> oh. maybe some tickets? Man, I don't know. I mean, they, apparently, they have a great a great team coming up this year, too. I don't know if you've been watching. <laughs> um, a lot of money, right? So yeah. Um, so um, outside observation, we uh, what happened with this raid and um, and with the claymore? Oh, that's uh, oh god, that's one of the last missions we had. Um, oh, you want to come back to it later on? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. It might screw me up on the timeline. Oh yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Can I ask them how did you recover from the losses in the January fourth? Third, yeah. So third. it it's kind of strange because like mentally you're yeah. talking. So to this any? happens. You get back to the you get back to the fob. What happens? How do you how do you get back on the horse? So it's it's weird. Um, it, at the time, like when when Dave was killed in Fallujah, we're busy. You know, we're in Fallujah. There's no stopping. You know, I had a. They talked about the whole thing where I had to clean the the weapon and everything, which is super hard. But um, Tom's was more difficult just because of the fact that we made it back to the tent now. We're back in Camp Fallujah in the tent, and it's over. Like <laughs> We're not going to the next building at this point. Now you, now you have time to sit and think about it. And, Downtime's uh, a killer, huh? Oh, brutal, brutal. And, uh, and like I said, it was the difference. I already talked about the difference between Tom and Dave and everything like that, but – so that's why Tom's was definitely harder for us. And the fact that we also had our gunner and our skipper going home, our whole command element was going home. Um, that was definitely tough. Uh, as far as handling it, it was kind of just, at the time, it was kind of kicking the can down the curb. Like, you just kind of avoid it at the time. I Who took over leadership at that point? So we were, I, I can't explain how lucky we were. Uh, we had Ed was our gunny called that's who I kept calling gunny in the story he went he was going home his best friend Al who's also a gunny was kind of just like I don't even know what his role was with the platoon he just kind of just he was a headquarters guy with second force and he attached himself to our platoon because they're hit him and Edward, Edward friends guys a stud we were absolutely okay like no no problem with him being there so he like took over and it's like we never never skipped a beat you don't think a phone call was made by he's like I'm on my way out. I would feel comfortable with you coming in. No, here he was with care. us the whole time. Oh, he was? Almost the whole time. So okay. he was there for that raid. I mean, oh, actually, now you say that, he had just left before that raid. Al wasn't on that raid. So Al came back like a week later and just took over. Like, like I said, no no hesitation whatsoever. He took over both the platoon commander and the platoon sergeant role. So, so you guys really lucked out by... Oh, I, I, I can't 
I can't explain that enough. Like having him there was absolutely huge. What what rank was he? He was a gunny. And he was the platoon commander and the platoon? Because at uh, the Hauser raid on January right. 3rd, my platoon commander was shot and my right. platoon sergeant, so they both went home. Oh, so it was. That's what we had for the rest of the appointment. They didn't. Re, they didn't replace an officer. That's what I was just asking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't need those guys, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky because the skipper was awesome. Yeah. He was our, our our captain was awesome. Fredo, did you have bad leadership when you were going? Like, can you specifically recall like terrible leadership? We, we can do an entire podcast on the <laughs> terrible leadership really? that I had. Yeah. 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 You I, wanna... yeah I was spoiled. I was really lucky. I mean, from even the grunts from. Uh, company down absolutely spoiled i'm but the I, weird thing is they were all prior enlisted recon marines i was yeah. like i really i mean i can't explain how lucky i was uh, i'm pretty harsh when it comes to evaluating my leadership though like i expect a lot and my squad leader was awesome but our company commander and our first sergeant were shit until person Riles already talked about came and, and he was amazing and then he left because Awesome guys don't stick around. They get promoted. And then the next guy that we had that we deployed, I was trying to think of his name, and I could not remember it. So I was thinking to myself, like, is it worse to be so shitty that people remember you or to be so shitty that I don't remember you? (laughs) I think it's worse to be so shitty that you remember, that it sticks in your brain. Yeah, I I do. Yeah, I don't even remember. He was so awful. I'm like, I yeah. just ejected him from my mind. About, like, the bad leadership thing, though, I don't, I never, like, kind of toss it to the side, like, the whole I got fucked thing. Because it definitely makes you hold yourself to a higher standard. Absolutely. For the future, you know, especially, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, especially being a lieutenant now, which yeah. is awesome. I didn't even know that until we met last time. Uh, I imagine, like, like, how much did you learn from having bad leadership? More from bad leadership than good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Thank you for your service, Alfred. <laughs> I, um, yeah, you know, it is, it is fucking amazing how I, same thing, man. Like I thought that I, like I had a couple really great guys that I was like, Oh, like this is a good guy. Like not even, maybe not even in the fire service, you know, like this guy's a great guy. Cause this, and this guy's a great guy. Cause this, and like, yeah, the more I look back on things, I'm like, I don't like the way this guy fucking, I don't like the way the dickhead yeah. did this yeah. fucking thing. I'm like, it's fucking You may weird. not like this, but you like that, but then right. the same thing with the other guy, and you take the two things you like. I mean, hey, you learn absolutely. so much from people. Yeah. yeah. I was uh, thinking, too, about our company commander when we deployed. Uh, captain, so what, you guys have captains, right? Same thing. For company commanders? Yeah, captains, company yeah. commanders, right. Um, For the grunts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was awful. <laughs> But then I was thinking about him, and I'm like, how old could he have been? Like 28? Right? And, like, we think were about in that. medic school think about fucking that. off. <laughs> no, seriously. Mm-hmm. And this guy was in charge of 200 people. Put it, in, put it in your perspective yeah. now. Never yeah. been yep. to war. Just came out of, you know, whatever, college program and officer candidate school. Now you're with 200 guys that you have to keep alive. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, you know, we didn't all make it. Right. And he was the same age that I was when we were in medic school, you know, dicking off, working a, like, I was, again, really hard on him, but then I look back and I'm like, man, so holy fuck. I was going to talk about that when we got to the Lincolnwood time, about becoming the, the, when I did the acting officer thing, but yeah, I absolutely relate to that. It's like a big growing up issue there. Yeah. Right. (laughs) What about you, Dan? You, were you as lucky as was to get good leadership or, uh? Through, you came up snake eyes a couple I times. I have 
I have a, a long, lot longer career, and my my time in the grunts, I I can look back and say, again, really good, really bad. And I was lucky enough, I think, to have either a good a good PL a platoon leader or a good platoon sergeant most of my time. And again, you learn more from bad from than from the bad from the good. And I had somebody point that out to me. Uh, now retired General Turner uh, pointed out that uh, you see what he did there. You, you see what he did there, traitor. Yes, sir. He goes, remind me, if I ever get in that position, don't do that. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, I've barely paying attention, but, like, you get it. Yeah, at the time, because I was a 19-year-old dumb kid, I didn't right. know. And then in my second second time around, phenomenal. I was blessed to have really yeah. good leaders, at the, at the a especially how, at a team level. How big of a difference. Yeah, and, like, on top of that, you – you're referencing, I, I'm not sure what those positions are outside of the military, but like, it sounds like it's almost like a middle male management role, right? Oh, like the guys you're talking oh, yeah. about. Yeah. 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 Pretty good analogy. And, yeah. yeah. Pretty yeah, like, good comparison. Yeah. And like, and go back to the, you know, to our stupid middle management role. Like, I feel like if I, I feel like I do a good job when I detach the guys that are working with me from the guys that are above me telling me to do some maniac shit. Like if like that middle management role is so important, at least, you know, obviously where I'm at right now, where it's like, if I do a good job, like this guy just wants to do the right thing when no one's watching and it, and it, he's not even seen what nonsense the guy way up top is telling me that I have to tell that guy to do. Yeah. Like, so I, I'm actually going to bring it up now instead yeah. of waiting until Lincolnwood because it, it fits in perfectly here. Uh, when I was in Lincolnwood, the fire department with these guys, the uh, and this I, is just just for reference, Lincolnwood is the first real job you got pretty much out of uh, the military. Would you say or no? I was a contract medic in Berwyn before that. Oh, were you? Okay, yeah, for a year, literally uh, one day short of a year before I went to Lincolnwood. Sure, okay. I was too. Uh, for a, in a Berwyn? Week. Yeah, I was there for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where Steve was too? Wasn't Steve yeah. there? I think uh, Steve was, yeah. yeah, yeah. Was in Ber- Cicero, he was in Cicero. Cicero. Cicero, okay. You know uh, what? I think he was in, doesn't matter. He was in both though, I think. <laughs> they had a, they came up with a position, uh, it always kind of confused me, called acting officer. It was an actual position. It wasn't just a guy that acted up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just because they didn't want to make a no lieutenant. And uh, it. I ended up becoming the acting officer. I had Super amount of hesitation, you know, at the, I had the, if not you, then who kind of talk right. and all that other stuff. Um, but it was pretty quickly after I became the acting officer, um, and I don't want to dive too much into this because we'll get to the Lincoln thing later, I realized the, the position I was in and the position I was in before when I wasn't the acting officer. And I actually went to a guy that I did not get along with, one of the other acting officers from the other shifts. We did not like each other. Mm-hmm. There was no love loss. Yeah. And I went up to him and I apologized. And he was like, I think he was like, whoa, I did not expect that from you. I was kind of an aggressive guy you there. fucking sweetheart. Yeah, I was kind of, uh, I would, would you say I was kind of one of the aggressive ones? Yeah, uh, do you so. want to get into this now? <laughs> I, I would say so. Uh, we'll get there. But anyway, I, I apologized to him. And he kind of taken back by it. And he's like, well, I, I don't understand what you mean. He goes, I never did anything to fuck you, but I also never did anything to help you. And I learned, I didn't learn that until I was actually in that leadership role. Remember, I wasn't a leader in the grunts. I switched over to recon. I was a junior guy in recon. Finished that deployment, and I got out. So I I was never in that role. I never learned that lesson yet. So it was a big kind of kick in the ass for me. Um, so that I I thought it fit more now into. The, I didn't want to not say it later. You know, I thought it fit in more what we're talking about. 
same thing. Like I was spoiled with my leadership in the Marine Corps, a- absolutely spoiled. But I can imagine having a second lieutenant with a bunch of asshole, eighteen-year-old, nineteen-year-old yeah. grunt lance corporals. Like you're not doing anything to help this fucking poor guy. You're just talking shit about him. You know he doesn't stand a chance. It's it's a horrible it's a horrible position to be in, and it takes a very special person to be successful at it. When you got back, you gotta give them give them the benefit of the doubt. When you got back from your deployment, how long were you still in before you? The second got one? Yeah, the second oh, one. Oh, yeah. before I got out? Oh, yeah. Jesus. A few months, probably about four or five months. Okay. Were all the people that were, where, where did you go back to? Camp Lejeune, North okay. Carolina. Were the people in your platoon like new guys? Uh, did a lot of people like ETS change the other units? It's kind of a, normally it would, uh, it, normally that would have happened, but what happened with us was, it was right when uh, Second Force was trained, changing away from Marine Corps Command into Special Operations Command. Okay. So they it, it, they changed it into MSOB was what they called it. Oh, I don't know what the hell that so is. So just so you know that I got a lot of comments about our last episode where people couldn't keep up with the acronyms. Uh, yeah, right. Oh. So if if we get to one that you yeah, guys... Yeah, stop me, please. <laughs> so, yeah, I, and I was like, man, you know, like, I'll, I'll try to be conscious of... Uh, they were changing Acronyms. over to MSOB, Marine Special Operations Battalion. They were changing over to the Special Operations Command. Is it, Dan, is that now JSOC, Joint Special Operations, or is it some other thing? So all of that would fall under there in the Marines. I know you guys switched from uh, recon to, uh, what do they call it, Raiders now? That was years later. Years yeah. later, okay. So It, it went from uh, MSOB, and then it was there was another one. Like, and then there was first MSOB, second MSOB, and then there was another one. And then they changed. It's the same thing, but they just right. then they changed it. Now they're called the Raider Battalion. Okay. Yeah. And then that, that would fall under uh, Joint Special Operations Command, but that's one small piece of a larger right. of a larger puzzle. Right. Um, so the platoon was being built into that. So fourth platoon, second force was the first. Uh, I think they called them Bravo Company, second Marine, second MSOB, Marine Special Operations Battalion. So there was actually more guys coming in and I was just kind of like, I'm just hanging out because I'm getting out in a few months. So when I got back, everybody ETS or which is, uh, what the hell does that even stand for? We are, we have an EAS end of active service. Okay. Or they went to some other unit, right. you know, they left the state, whatever. So it was me and like one platoon sergeant that had been in combat and so when, like, the captain or lieutenant would say something, they would all look at me and they're like, does that sound right? And I'm like, dude, you need to listen to this guy. <laughs> like, just because I got, you know, whatever, like, he's still in charge. Like, don't look at me. So it was very, very awkward. Very awkward. Yeah. And that's that's definitely a testament to um, going back to the other thing about what I was talking about, like, command structure and, like, guy, like him even just going back and apologizing, like, I mean, what a testament to how great of a guy this guy is that, like, he, I mean, it takes, yeah, it takes a special kind of guy to be like, what a fucking dickhead I was, you know, (laughs) and like, and again, at a relatively, you know, younger age to, to like, get out of the job and and be like, oh, yeah, like, I was kind of a prick. Dan, how did you feel being an E7? And then what did you, specialist, sergeant? What did you make it to the, the second time? No, I kept rank. Oh, you did? I kept rank. Oh, shit, I, I thought you I lost from, all your rank. I went from regular army to the reserves, or actually National Guard, back to regular army. 
So I never lost rank. I had I tried to go ROTC. I had a, a short time where I thought I was going to be an officer. I bounced all everything around, but I never lost continuity. Okay. Is that where you finished off at E7? Yes. I have a I I was E7 for a long time because <laughs> of my my little discharge incident. Well, you know, uh, for you guys listening, uh, Brian actually uh, stepped out for a second. Um, so while Brian's out, let's have an opportunity. I know that I wanted to touch with this um, with you about the dogs. Yeah. So from what I understand, like you were pretty instrumental, like with like bringing like. Were you at the front line of bringing dogs into this, uh, like the special forces and stuff like that? Like, we, how did that come about? We had, well, the, the dog thing came about with special operations command was experimenting and, and they saw the value of dogs. They didn't know how to properly employ them. So we started, uh, how did, the, how does that even come up in combat? Like, you know, uh, do you know, like the beginning of when that like progressed how did did somebody just be like you know what we should have we should there have there was like a 21 year old dan trader walking around and like he found a gerbil <laughs> and and Where? he trained him well that's that's for the dan trader that's story. uh i mean this Classified. was the era of, that, this was the era of the dog i mean in yeah. in iraq and afghanistan i mean it was so you uh, what's the word i'm looking for I mean, I can use amazing, but it really, I mean, how... Just instrumental. How, oh, what's, thank you. Yeah. How instrumental was the dog in Iraq and Afghanistan theater. It was... And you were you were part of the the group that was, like, experimenting with jumping out of planes with these dogs yes. and, and doing all these things. Don't you have a good story about the first time you jumped with the dog? So we, we did... <laughs> we were practicing on methods of entry with the dog, so trying to get him to fast rope and trying to do... And I had a really... I had a high Trying to get a dog, dog to fast rope? Yeah. So or you, you fast roping fast with the dog? Fast roping with the dog. Okay, I was going to say. So, <laughs> he trained the dog to fast rope behind him. So, yeah, he wrapped his The dog would see how far Dan got, and if Dan made it far enough, the dog would follow him. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going. I'm not going. You just harness him <laughs> underneath your legs, behind you on your butt, and you do your regular descent, and then you hit, and you let go, and then you have an awkward couple seconds where you have to declip and release, and you're good. Sure. You uh, ever land on? I mean, you could potentially land on your sure. dog, right? yeah. You had okay. to be cognizant of that. And I was never the first one out that's, with that. That's going to be the thing. <laughs> make sure the rope's long enough. Make sure we're, you know, stable platform, all that good stuff. Uh, did I ever tell you my jump school stories? No. So remember I was I was doing the the no smiling. We were yeah. tough Marines, Army that's, school. That's what I think, yeah. We couldn't, we couldn't like, fail at anything. Where it's in Marines at an Army school. It's like, it, oh, yeah. it can't happen, you know. And we were senior we, at the time. We were like corporals, and these were all army privates going like you did, ranger yep. contracts, all this stuff. Dude, it sounds silly, but that's a lot of pressure I got to manage, to be honest. Yeah, but we were jagoffs, sure. Like, so <laughs> it was fun, you know. Yeah. So we fucked with everybody. We right? went through. I went through with Marines and SEALs, and and there's always those guys, and they're always in so much better shape. Yeah. There's so much. They're it's well, they're prepared more, really? you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So I'm. Of course, I hated jumping out of planes. I didn't like it. It was an insert for us. I didn't get off on it. Some guys do. I didn't. Yeah. So I'm doing this tough Marine thing. I'm not smiling and everything. Well, the first jump, the Sergeant Airborne, the guy that runs it, he's like, wow, let's get up here. I'm like, what? I'm in the back of the stack, and he's like, he puts me in the front right by the door. For, so for continuity I'm, with I'm turning, the story, Waz is not smiling <laughs> during this. Just so you guys know. Facing out the door, and he's just looking at me, waiting for me to break character, you know, because I haven't smiled yet. So finally, the light turns green. He's like, go. I look at him and I crack a smile just for him, just to be a smart ass. <laughs> and I go and I jump out. Now you're supposed to count to five, 1,000. 
if you you're not under canopy. This is a, you, a static jump? Yeah. Okay. So we're hooked in. You're not under canopy. you got to pull your reserve because you're going to hit the ground. <laughs> I mean, we were higher because it's training, but so I'm counting. No, you I do a whole process before. Yeah, you this is, just this play is three weeks. Yeah, yeah. The Army does three. If it was a Marine Corps, it would be jump day, tower day, or uh, ground yeah, day, ground jump day, day tower, tower day. day jump the day. Army does three weeks. <laughs> um, so you under, if you're not on a camp in five seconds, you're supposed to pull your reserve. So I go, 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, 4, 1,000, 5, 1,000, 6, 1,000, 7, 1,000, 8, 1,000, 9, 1,000. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> and I'm under yeah. canopy. <laughs> so it goes fine. I land. I'm, now I'm like, I land. I'm all smiles now. And I'm like, wait a minute. Lock it up. No no smile, you know. Fast forward to the jump five, the last jump. It's the uh, the night combat jump. Now I'm paranoid about somebody else coming underneath me to steal my steal air. Steal your air. You know, you drop a little faster. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you're supposed to drop, you're supposed to pull your little Velcro strap for the, to drop your pack so you don't land on it. 10, 15 feet, I don't know. Um, so I'm under canopy, it's cold out, I don't see anybody, I'm paranoid, I'm looking, make sure nobody gets under me. I'm like, I've been up here a long time, man. <laughs> I can't see the ground, I'm like, fuck it, I'm just going to pull this thing. I pull the Velcro, I hear, doo, doo. I hear the pack hit the ground. <laughs> like, oh god! No. I, <laughs> no, no preparation, no proper landing fall. Nothing. Just, just bounce over myself. So I can imagine doing Did that. Did you look it. at the horizon? And I couldn't see anything. You couldn't see I was anything. Trying to look for parachutes coming underneath me. I was terrified. I hated it. So that was those were that was my. <laughs> Well, let's get back. About jumping with a dog. Sorry, let's get, I let's get back to how Dan landed on his dog. Oh, <laughs> yeah. so just real did, quick, because this is just a teaser. We did at the Dan Trader story. We did was called possibly the Dan and Ale podcast. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> we'll see where it goes. <laughs> we did was called successive approximation, where you where you first of all you just walk the dog up to the the airplane and then walk him back. Good boy. Walk him up to the airplane. That with makes the, sense. The yeah, engine's sure. running. Good yeah, boy. Yeah. And and he was fine. No muzzle. What was so, the name of your dog? Remy. Remy. Uh, Remy. Great story. Actually, a Belgian shepherd. Okay. Or, I'm sorry, Dutch shepherd. There's actually a book written about him. Yeah, let's say you got to, yeah. Oh, are you shitting? Yeah. Oh. Well, we and gotta, a, we gotta, and gotta, a TV show, right? Yeah. We got to put that out. So yeah. when well, you're I'll done. tell you what else, too. That's leading into a really nice couch nickname for Vince is the Dutch shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to, It's like a Dutch rudder. And you get to be Remy. Yeah, no, I'm Remy to Vince's Dutch shepherd. So we did this successive approximation with him, and he was fine. All the way up into the air, he was fine. He was, he was good flying, and we got up into the door. And I was not leading the stack like was. I was never the first. I, well, not in this case. I was not the first one out. And as soon as we went out the door and the prop blast hit him and that, that sensation, he turned around and sunk his teeth. He was right, <laughs> where my was, right into my inner thigh. And his eyes rolled back in his head, and he howled all the way down. <laughs> and that... And that's where I got going, you know? So, like, that's where Boots really hit the ground and what's getting me. Yeah. So I unclawed him, and I, and I said, this will never happen again. So after that, we jumped. I put a, a tennis ball in his mouth and a muzzle over that. So I, And it worked fine. But that first one, man, he, wow. He's like, oh, no, not the tennis ball. Yeah. And so, it took a couple seconds to unwind him once we got to the ground. Oh, and I bet. I just bet. Like, you got to, like, okay, he's a good boy. And, it, uh, and so the, was Remy a... Bomb detection dog. He was dual purpose. Yeah. Uh, bite dog. Bomb detection dog. Okay. And he was he was a monster. Really? Yeah. He was feared throughout uh, Ruzgan Province. He was <laughs> he was known and feared. The, the, how much was the bounty for Remy? It was high. Yeah. I don't remember. We I can I'll dig up those posters, but we have posters of us. Like yeah. Get, get those get those pictures oh, so that, that we can framed. we can Dude. post those up. Yeah. That would be cool as hell for people to see. Uh, is Remy still That's around? That's a tattoo no. for you. No. Uh, there's a. You could do a whole story on that. Uh, he 
he was, I transferred him over to another handler, and then that handler allowed him to get in a dog fight. And he was mauled almost to death. With the, another, with another military dog? dog? No, with an Afghan fighting oh, dog. Oh, no shit. So it was, it was. When you say he allowed him to do that, like. We shoot could, dogs. Yeah. You would shoot a dog. If, yeah. if another dog yeah. was coming, you'd shoot him. And he, for whatever reason, allowed him to get in this fight with this dog. And he killed the dog. And I know the guy who was the, the team leader of the team he was on. And he said there's a picture out there somewhere of the sun coming up over the mountains and Remy standing with two paws on top of this dead oh, big man. Afghan fighting dog. The Jesus. sun coming up, panting, all covered in sweat and blood. <sighs> just Yeah, just the well, Because there's dogs running everywhere yeah, out there, right? Yeah. So, Was there? Yeah. Yeah, wild, yeah. wild dogs. Uh, children without parents and fucking dogs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We actually had two uh, Vietnam-era... Uh, silenced 22s, like completely yeah. silenced, yeah. that we use almost almost specifically <laughs> for dogs, for wild dogs, giving up wow. our position and yeah. stuff like that. So Remy got hurt, and I would I was already gone. I was out of country. I'd already PCS'd. And so there was no system in place to care for injured dogs. So he went back to a kennel somewhere and in some, some shelter in the States and was abandoned and stayed for almost a year. And then we had... Uh, he had been adopted. So fast forward probably four or five years to Lincolnwood, and yeah. I'm sitting here in a, on a morning somewhere I messing around on my phone, and I find pictures of myself and the dog and some guy that had adopted him in Michigan. I'm like, what the hell? How do, who is this? And I couldn't figure it out. So by the, you know, by the end of the morning, I was on the phone, and the first person I called is one of my buddies, and he said, man, fuck that, we're going to go kidnap him back. You know? <laughs> Who's that? Look, at, look at this fucking hillbilly. <laughs> fuck that, we're getting our dog back. <laughs> so you formulated Operation Remy. Operation Rescue Remy. <laughs> and then I, I called the guy that had the dog. He owned, uh, his name is Doug Davis. Doug and Pam Davis own a, a marina up in uh, Michigan. I, I, I'm, I'm blocking on the place. Northern Michigan. <laughs> So we went up there to see him. We reunited with the dog. The Davises are wonderful people. They had they had adopted the, Did Remy. they rescue him? They rescued him. He was a Vietnam oh, dog Jesus handler. Jesus Christ. No Jesus. kidding. He adopted this dog and loved this dog and treated did him. Did he know that this was a military dog? He knew it was a military working dog, and he had found a little bit of background on him. So this is how he had gotten pictures of Remy and I. That's crazy. And, but I had never heard about it. So we reunited. We all went out and reunited with him and him and the dog and, and everybody was. So like, when you first saw him, did, did Remy like, crazy. was it obvious that Remy recognized oh, yeah. you? Oh yeah. yeah. That was my next question. Yeah. Was it that like that stereotypical tearjerker video yeah. that's on yeah. there? Oh. Wow. Yeah. And there's, there's video of this. It came out in a TV show. There was a TV show made about it. Um, Saving private canine with, uh, Arlie army hosted the show. I, yeah. got to meet I remember Arlie you army. doing this. I remember you doing all that. So that's oh, out there man. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we got to find Saving it. private canine. All right. And we were show number one. Vin, Vin Diesel plays Dan Trader. No. And, <laughs> and he's too small. And he's too <laughs> small. And he's still not the stature. Looks like a little bitch. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was fantastic to see him. Oh, and how I'd special is that? A few you more definitely times. start off with a story. I'm like, there's a fucking book written about this dog. And I'm like, God damn. Fuck you, Dan. I want to I want to talk to this dog right yeah, now. You, <laughs> you leave. Bring the dog right. in. Yeah. So he called me. A few years ago, right around Christmas, and say, "Hey, you might want to come on up. It looks, it's looking yeah. bad." And I, I went up wow. for. I you was there? Passed. Yeah. Oh Jesus, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So it it it's a great full 
Wow. Yeah. Circle story for Remy. Wow. And Remy had a pretty successful career in the military, huh? He like, had, at one time, he was the most successful, we were the most successful team in the military. As far, like what, how? Six IEDs and 11 combat bites. Now, there's people now and there's, there's things now that have eclipsed that by far. Right. But, but at the time. At the, in the yeah. 06, we were... We you were guys were still experimenting and learning oh, yeah. how to how to implement these dogs, right? So we wrote our team wrote what's called the TTPs, tactics, techniques, and procedures. So the the great Bobby Farmer, another one of my uh, close friends, <laughs> I love that name. He came out shotgun. Yeah, shotgun Bobby. He, <laughs> I don't know if we should. No. Talk about <laughs> no. Yeah, no. Listen, I I I I will Moving hear on. this story, but back to you, Was. Sorry. <laughs> no, Sorry, I wanted you to know, tell him. It's, you know, it's the name of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all right. So we, dog. we, yeah. I mean, <laughs> thanks. I'd love to hear your Labrador story. Okay, but what about? Uh, sorry, Dan. So, what about this? Uh, this hostage uh, uh, rescue retrieval. Okay. So this yeah. is like the next couple of missions is where we kind of segue into the uh, the mental issue kind of aspect of it. So this is where it gets kind of tough. Uh, one of the actually one of the first bigger raids we did was a hostage rescue. It was a, I don't even remember who it was. It was a, I think it was an interrogator's family was taken. Okay, and uh, we did the raid, and it was actually kind of funny. At the time, we were working with the SF guys, uh, and we were absolutely successful with them. They had all the intel, but we had the guns. They only had like a six man team or something there, um, so they would be on scene, dressed in clothes like. Uh, Let's turn indigenous, I don't know, whatever indigenous clothes, and they would mark the Can't building. Can't say that. Just say that. Marking the building for us, even though we knew, but it just it's, makes it more fluid, makes it better. Um, and uh, we'd hit the building, and we're, we hit it, it com- completely successful, no shots fired or anything. It was like a, a four-building compound, and the weirdest thing was the the, there was like a fence around the entire compound, and the, sounds so weird. Weird. The fence was made of ammo cans, which is kind of a big red flag. Uh, <laughs> but mean, they were that's going to tip you off. A bit. <laughs> Enough ammo cans empty, to make a empty fence. Empty ammo cans, oh, like filled with dirt and stuff, which I thought was really weird. But hmm. I, it's weird to use as flower plants. <laughs> me and uh, I think it was Damien uh, make the gangway. I call it a gangway. I don't know what they call it there, but and I turn left and we see a. Uh, 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 enemy, whatever, okay, on his, like, crouching down by this fence, his ammo can fence, and he's holding an AK. Now, remember, this is very early on in the deployment. So I run up, I, I go run, he has, does no idea we're there. Mm. I go running up, but I just boot him right in the face, knock him out cold. Just just a bum rush. Yeah. That's your... And uh, tie him up, take the AK, everything, whatever. We raid successful. We got all the all the hostages, complete success. It was a great start to the deployment. Like, wow. Literally, it couldn't have been any better. You know, just setting you up for nobody you got didn't, hurt. You, and you didn't want to shoot this guy because you didn't want to tip your well, hand at that well, point. Well, no, I'm getting to that. It's <laughs> because it was early on in the deployment. Um, so while we're debriefing on scene, we actually Mo's there, our Egyptian, our interpreter, and we can hear him yelling and arguing with each other. Who was on watch? Who let this happen? Who was on watch? Like the guy on watch was sleeping. Otherwise, we might have might have had a contact. The point of the story is one that we one to talk about how we did a, a couple hostage rescues. Um, the stages of the deployment. This is where it gets kind of difficult. Early on, I see this guy run up and I boot him in the face. 
if I didn't do it, somebody else would have. Somebody else might have been a little bit more trigger happy. We absolutely would have been in the right. Just, uh, no issue there whatsoever. Fast forward a month, I would have put two to the chest, one of that, but without hesitation. Fast forward three months, it would have been four to the chest. Fast forward another month, it would, I would have shot him until he fell apart. Period. That's, that's the way the deployment went. And that's where the mindset started going. I, I can't speak for the other guys. I know I struggled with stuff, and I, I'm not, I didn't struggle with the killing part. I, that, that was, I was absolutely comfortable with that. That's what we were there for. I just struggled in general. I could, couldn't even pinpoint what it was. It wasn't self-preservation. Yeah, if I had to put it towards something, it was more towards the I got sick of seeing everybody else hurt. And it sounds like bullshit. Super easy for me to sit here and say this now. Like, I wasn't worried about myself. I was worried about other people. I wasn't worried about them. I was just sick of dealing with it. Yeah. It sounds but so this selfish. This escalation in aggression yeah. Yeah. was more indicative of your mental state than your ability to like, right. conduct the raid. Right. Okay. And the weird thing was, at the time, it was so aggressive there, we were never wrong by doing that. Right. Um, but it always bugged me. And... I assume we'll talk about it later. Where, always, oh, where's that guy now? That fucks me up. Like, I hope that guy's dead now. I should have shot him the first time I saw him. You know, I, uh, he could have killed the Marine five months later. Who knows? Well, his intentions were to kill somebody. Yeah. I mean, there was a couple raids. I think we were too fast. Where guys, well, I know we were because they, they told us they didn't even know. They thought they were getting robbed. They didn't know it was Americans. They thought it was the other assholes trying to steal their guns or whatever. So, but. I don't care why, you know. Yeah. But so that's where the what started, I guess, um, the mental issues. But the hostages, uh, I think we did. I think we had two or three of them. Uh, fairly insignificant because they were all successful with with no contact, which is kind of good, especially yeah, with hostage situations. Yeah. yeah. But it's always like a. Uh, interpreters family or something like that which is good i mean they're helping us out we i mean they put their lives their whole families at oh, risk yeah. they should i mean we should help them out yeah um and uh what do, oh so we got a um it's kind of it kind of seems like it leads into ferris town but uh the snatch mission we're okay capture only. yeah um <laughs> so it was a capture only mission oh I, I wrote snatch just because I, I think that was a Vietnam term. It wasn't like a, a term we, we used. We used that too. Did you? Okay. Yeah, when I was uh, attached to the SF guys, that's what they always called okay. it. So I, most of our missions were killer capture. Um, I'm sure the Intel guys wanted us to capture, and we wanted to kill them. I mean, I, whatever. I mean, it, it played itself out. Uh, but this was a specifically a capture of this individual. Um, so Fairstown. I Does think, that give you like a heightened sense of like going into it? It's like well, the right. significance about Ferristown was more so the location than the person. Yeah, where um, where is Ferristown? Not horribly far from Fallujah, but it's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, excuse me. They uh, it absolutely scared the living shit out of me going there, and it was funny because it wasn't until about two years ago where I saw my whole platoon where we laughed. When the skipper, uh, I talked to him, he said, we always knew we were going into Ferristown because Wise would turn green. <laughs> <laughs> because this place, it's like in the middle of nowhere, got a berm, a sand berm all the way around it with a ditch on the outside of it. 
and it's like, I'm guessing maybe eight, like two or three story apartment buildings with the exterior staircase in the middle. Like Maywood has a lot of them. Yeah. You know, concrete buildings with open staircase in the middle. You see them all over our country. Um, but you're in the middle of nowhere. We can't get there without being seen. And our react is 45 minutes away. And we're going there with like 15, 18 guys at this point. It scared the shit out of me. I thought it was a horrible idea. I'm not the mission planner. I'm just one of the guys. Absolutely hated going there. Well, we did a couple raids there. I don't even know if we ever got anybody out of there. But uh, the Snatch mission came up, and it was uh, a cell phone hit. So this is kind of a surreal. Not I hate the term surreal because it was very real. Um, we're in that irrigation ditch berm kind of thing all around and there's like this 15 20 foot bridge to go across it to get into the area but but real is a good term like i mean it's very real it was was like like middle of night uh we're all kind of hidden in these little areas it's probably about eight or nine of us in that immediate area for the mission and we get the now we're all we all have headphones and microphones we all can talk to each other it's not Mm -hmm. like the ground so everyone can hear each other are you using nvgs yes okay um, Which is night vision, night vision goggles. Night vision goggles. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. you have to do that. I appreciate it. Um, so we're all on night vision goggles, and we get confirmation that the guy is talking on the cell phone right now. And as we're doing this, you can see the guy walking on the bridge, kind of back and forth, talking on the cell phone. And we all have our PEC 2s. This is prior to... I don't know if I was posted prior to Fuja. Um... The PEC-2, the laser, infrared. So you can see this. Now, there's like five or six other guys there. Only you can see it through your night vision. Night, you have to have night vision right. goggles to yeah. see it. Okay. So you see and like this little green line okay. with a dot on somebody. And that's, and that's coming from? Us, our rifle. weapons. Right. PQ. I was going to say, the, the rifleman of that platoon or? All, everybody. Okay. Everybody okay. that has a rifle. Everyone would have. It's about yeah. a cigarette-shaped or cigarette size, uh, like a pack of cigarette size. It would go on the top of your rifle. Sure. And it would shoot. Uh, it had red, white light, IR, and only if you had your night vision on could you see it. Mm. So it would illuminate everything like clear as day. And if you took a, you lifted your knot off, your, your you night observation device. You're black, you're in the night. Yeah. Um, so no. there's. What so. kind of MVGs did you have? Like the big, like spider? We didn't have the fancy ones, no. Did you have the one? We had two. Oh, you had two? Yeah. Okay. Which had, is. So we had one that went over whatever eye you decided to put it on so that you had that depth We had some of those. Perception. We had some of those, had yes. Some of those? Yeah, okay. we had some of those. Got it. And then we had some guys had two and two. We didn't have the fancy four FLIR thermal were those, stuff. Were those around? I never had it. No, I okay. think that was, I think I, that was I, after that us. That was like later, later yeah. then. I think that was after I had, us. I had ANPBS twos and fours. Okay. So are these, some pretty, fours. are these some pretty bulky goggles uh, you got going yeah, on? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, not horrible, okay. but... They're not comfortable. So a little sure. battery in the back of your helmet, yeah. okay. and then a wire leads to it, and then it's it weighs as much as a can of beer, about half a, a little can of beer, about okay. the size of a uh, like a Red Bull bottle. Okay. Like think of a like not a full can, but like a Red Bull. Sure. And it pops up and for daylight, and yeah. it just pops yeah. back down. That's a good comparison. Okay, so pretty, yeah, so pretty maneuverable yeah. situation yeah. going bulky. So we're yeah. we're all hidden in this ditch on either side of the, the bridge. And we're watching this guy. They're telling, this is, this is the target. He's on the, the cell whole, phone. Yeah. There's a couple of guys, probably party cards, who knows, kind of standing around. So we coordinate who's got who. So we have the the lasers, the PEC-2s, the dots on everybody. 
and it would do like a the idea is to kill everybody <laughs> but the target. Um, so we do the countdown. We do three, two, one, and we take them all out, and we go up there, kind of rush the area, go to grab the guy. But the uh, I just want to talk about that because that was one of the uh, one of the types of missions we did. That was the only one we did, but I thought it was significant enough because how much I hated Fairstown and uh, just a different type of mission that that it was new to us. We oh, never yeah. did another one. It just never we would have. It just never came up. What was the outcome of this mission? <laughs> okay, we killed every, we killed everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. So I mean, <laughs> I don't know how I don't know who did it, but right, yeah, it was. It, I mean, it's confusing. I Mission mean, it's, yeah, it's 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 weird because it was super organized. It really was. I mean, you're literally standing there watching these guys, like you know, these four or five guys are about to die. We're gonna grab this guy. Well, he might have ran across. We don't know. He might have sure. ran across. Who knows what happened? But we we did not come back with the the target. Yeah, I did not. Yeah. Did you have we, to come back with some sort of identification of the guy? You don't have to get I too don't know. specific. I don't know. I don't, don't know, know if we had to or not. Okay. Yeah. Got it. You know, and yeah, like, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but like, we all like to bring it back to firefighting. Like, we all like to like, oh, let's, let's take a picture of each other in front of the engine. Sure. Or let's, yeah. let's do this after the fire. And like, well, like we did a really good job, but like, if you guys like to, you know, for for as much as I'm sure people are like, oh, cool, they're laughing about this horrible thing. Like, if you guys didn't accomplish this mission, countless lives, you know, were at stake. You know, like it was. It, this, so we never. I mean, we would never sit there and talk. Sure. Like that. But I can speak for myself. That's absolutely weighs on us. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and and again, like this is something where where. You know, it's it's very easy to like criticize like what's you know what's going on, but like had had you guys not done what you guys did, this is something where you know countless lives, countless lives were saved, countless countless military members were saved, countless um, you know, and again, I'm sure we could spitball on what everything else that could have happened. Um, maybe can we? I know this is kind of... Hold on. Can I stop for a second? Yeah, please. The, again, I can only speak from my own mindset. Everything I did, I felt like I was doing for the grunts. And a lot of that was because I came from the grunts. Mm -hmm. I wasn't the recon baby. I didn't go right into recon. And I, I'm okay with that. I, I realized the position. I think I hit this pretty hard with the mm -hmm. Fallujah stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I don't need to beat a dead, beat a dead horse. But I am going to go back to a quick story in Fallujah that I that I forgot that ties in. Um, so all these targets, were, to me, were to prevent grunts from dying, period. All right, we're back from the break. We wanted to shout out to our sponsor. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is actually brought to you by Rescue One CBD Oil. Uh, Rescue One was kind enough to send out some uh, CBD when they knew that uh, you guys uh, were going to have a second appearance here on the show. And they um, sent out their uh, the regular Rescue One CBD oil that's 0.000% of THC. And you can get that uh, when you go to rescueonecbd.com. And uh, if you enter the promo code BRAVEST, you'll get 25% off all the products. So I know, Dan, that you're a big proponent of CBD oil. Like, what's your take on CBD? I, I love it. 
Uh, it's worked wonders for me. I have a lot of aches and pains and, and uh, little bumps and bruises from over the years. I, do, I use it like a pre-workout for muscles. I go on a run with it, and, it and, and then I do at night, I do the droplets, and it helps me sleep. I have great dreams. Uh, I'm a big proponent of the CBD. Yeah, and I've been using it uh, ever since uh, Rescue One sent us out some. And we were talking off the air before we got on the microphone that we've actually, with this podcast, we've so many people have come out. They've been looking for a product like this, but with the detectable amounts of THC that they were afraid to actually reach out and get the benefits of CBD oil. So when you have a CBD oil like Rescue One, which has 0.00% THC, now people can actually get the benefits of CBD. And for me, the sleep benefits has really been a game changer for me. The waking up in the middle of the night, uh, you know, if I turn in the middle of the night, I'm up and that's just terrible. And like we were saying before the break, if I didn't believe in this product and it didn't work for me, you know, talking about it right now, because if somebody wanted us to promote a cheap ass Halligan bar or something like that, and they couldn't get into a door, you know, who are they going to talk to? They're going to get a hold of me and they're going to tell me, hey, why are you telling me to buy this shit-ass product? But this product is actually really good. I stand behind it. And, you know, they were kind enough to send some out for all the guests here today. And, uh, again, rescue1cbd.com. Uh, it's the number one. And enter Bravest for 25% off. Now, is this all mail order? They, do they Are they in brick-and-mortar stores? This is going to be for us. This is all going to be online ordering. And we just had somebody, a friend of ours from uh, another fire department, she ordered it and it was immediate. Like she got a text message or uh, email saying that it was already shipped out like within a couple hours. So they're they're very responsive. Super responsive. Like she made a point to let me know that that it was super responsive. Now, these guys are... the owner of this or whoever, are they on the job? Yeah, this company is a firefighter-owned company, and that's, from my understanding, what prompted him to make this product. So he knows guys on a job are going to have bumps and bruises and pains and, and Yeah, all this. you know, yeah. if you look at the logo, uh, you're going to get a good idea of so like what this is about. a joint pain thing or a muscular pain? Well, oh, I see what this, you did there was. This topical pain relief oh, is like a roll-on. And it's got like, it smells like um, that eucalyptus smell to it. And it's just a topical cream. It's like a roll-on where if you had a pain in your elbow or something like that, you would just rub it on there. You know what cupping is? Yeah, we <laughs> talked about that in the last episode. Yeah, they, we do, I do that with my wife. We'll, we'll sit and watch yeah. The Bachelor and I'll, I'll do cupping on her neck and shoulders. Did you like the deaf girl? Did you watch it? I don't ruin it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. Don't ruin it. I've only seen it because, you know, somebody else. We only got one TV. Yeah. I don't, I'm not like into it. I'm not judging, but all right. All right. So don't you fucking high road him now. I'm not like into it. I just got it. So you all, you, all you guys have uh, some products from rescue one to take home with you. Uh, thanks again, rescue one. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much. What's the pre-workout stuff you do? This stuff, the roll on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to try the sleep. Yeah, that for me was the biggest benefit of the CBD oil. So, uh, rescue1cbd.com, enter Bravis for 25% off. Okay, we're uh, back from our break, back with Brian. And, uh, Corey, where'd we leave off? So, um, I mean, if, if we're all ready for it, if Brian, you're good to go. Um, I'd like to, if you're cool with that, I'd like to talk about Jimmy's Raid. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think we're there. Uh... Anybody else need ice? <laughs> Thanks. Does everyone else need ice? <laughs> yeah, I think we're there. Yeah, yeah. After, after I bust up Alfredo's cup. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we've covered a couple different things from Fallujah moving on, and uh, we're, we're going to, it sounds kind of weird, but we're getting kind of like the, the dark dark stuff now. Um, this is where I started kind of seeing the struggles come out in me, uh, whether mental struggles or struggles I choose to react, to, I reacted to. Um, after cleaning off Dave's weapon, that's when really kind of started. And I didn't, stuff and this is all stuff, in. all stuff I realized way after the fact, just sitting by myself, kind of contemplating about the past and everything. Um, I didn't realize how big of a significance that moment cleaning off Dave's weapon had on me. Um, but the significance about Dave's raid, uh, Jimmy's raid, was a, cu- a couple different things. So I'm going to try and stay in order here and make sense of this whole thing. Uh, I don't even know what the mission was. It was a it was a killer capture mission, but I don't know what the specifics were. Um, we hit. Uh, we went to the we went to the target and we. Uh, it's happened two or three times. Same thing with uh, Tom's raid. We hit the prayer room first. Uh, that kind of fucks us on the rest of the raid because we lose the element of surprise. The way it worked out was Jimmy had ended up having rear security. He was one of the first guys in the prayer room, but he was one of the last guys getting ready to go into the main house because of the prayer room. I... Uh, I continued around the right side of the house down a little gangway about a maybe a three-foot wide little gangway between houses. As I went down the gangway, I heard uh, rounds being fired, shots being fired. And I knew they were enemy rounds because they were automatic. We Our M4s had the capability of being fully automatic, but we didn't operate that way. So you had full auto, not three-round burst? We did. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was right. safe, semi, and yeah. full auto. I only had safe, semi, three-round yeah. burst. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only time we would really use auto is if specific reason for it or like an E&E. Where, control? Yeah, where we want to make it look like there's way more guys than six guys. Um, so while I'm going down this gangway, we had rounds fired. And I, just, I kept moving. Nothing ever really hit, happened with it. This is where it gets really confusing. I uh, made the left turn around the house in the backyard area. Nothing. Made the left turn around, and there's a doorway going in. I went into the doorway. Now, I'm by myself. We got kind of separated with the raid force. This is a smaller building, so I know they're not far away. So I just waited. I just stand there, and I held on the opening little, little doorway to the next room, and... Uh, while I'm doing that, I see a round hit the wall next to me, like a rick- not a ricochet, like an impact on the wall next to me. And I, <laughs> I, I always questioned how I reacted because I never looked to the right to see who was shooting. I just kind of scooted forward to the next room and cleared the next room by myself and nobody there. Uh, what ended up, ended up happening was, uh, make sure I get the timeline right, um, as we all advanced into the house and around the gangway, Jimmy was disciplined enough to hold rear security. 
And uh, what happened was the uh, <laughs> was uh, three guys came running out from somewhere. I don't I don't know where because I was on the they would be on let's let's use fire department terms. They're on the alpha side of the building. I'm on the Charlie side of the building. And uh, there's three guys. Jimmy drops the first guy with two to the chest, scans to the second guy, one to the head. Uh, absolutely 100% textbook. Two to the chest, one to the head, right right in the bridge of the nose. It was, I mean, you couldn't have... You couldn't have trained that better. Uh, But the problem was uh, the first one he killed was uh, younger. He had two to the chest. The rounds, he was so close. He was within like five to ten feet. The rounds were too fast and too small. They went through him, and the guy didn't realize he was dead yet. And as he fell, he let out a burst from his AK, and Jimmy got hit in the fat of his chin. And I, I believe he got hit on the drag strap on the back of his gear. I don't, I, I don't remember for sure, but I know the fat of the chin. But he was still disciplined enough to take out the second target, the dad who was killed instantly with the, the face shot. But the other, the younger kid made it around the corner, and he was, what I didn't realize to the end, was firing at me. I was at the gangway. I didn't realize till there was empty casings in the gangway that he was firing at me. I don't know how it was missed. Um... But uh, those guys were the only place they could have gone from the ma- uh, building construction could have been into that gangway where I was. So the fact that Jimmy was disciplined enough to hold rear security, there's no doubt in my mind that that's why uh, they didn't get to me, at least behind me or uh, advanced to some tor- sort of fight, whether they got me from behind or uh, or we fought in the backyard or something. Um so that always weighed extremely heavy on me, the fact that he was disciplined enough to hold rear security because it didn't always happen. It was a, it's, a, it's a jack-off job. Nobody wants to do it. It's like, it's like I compare it uh, to the hydrant, but even worse, you know, uh, in the fire service. Like, like your writ. Super important. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, you don't want to do it. But he was that professional and that, that disciplined enough to do it, and it absolutely convinced me that he, it saved my life. But uh, it gets a little worse. It gets a little, uh, this is like I said, where I start to see my reaction to things. Uh, it turned out the, the three targets that I ran out, Jimmy got two of them. One was the dad, one was the son, and the third one was the younger son. I, I don't know how old he was. I'm guessing 10, anywhere from 10 to 12. He... Uh, we, I don't even know who got him. I think he ended up being shot in the hand somehow. I don't know who hit him. I, I have no idea, but we had control of him. His dad and his brother are dead in the front. The raid's over. House is secured. We're doing the intel and the site exploitation and stuff. And uh, I kind of, through talking to guys, figure out what happened. And I realized that this kid was coming after me, and I kind of... Uh, I saw red. I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't happy. So I grabbed this kid and I throw him on top of his, uh, his brother and his dad. 
and the uh, interrogator we had, which we had another interrogator. We had an actual, like, Iraqi uh, interrogator. I don't remember his name with us. Pulled them off, and he was upset. And uh, I got into a little skirmish with him. I kind of pushed him off the side. I'm like, I... He's he's attached with us. He doesn't control what we do, or he he does what he's told to do. So I grabbed the key, pulled the kid off. I put the kid back down. I, I, I was upset. I remember going up to my platoon sergeant, who was Ed at the time, the original guy, not Al when they switched over. And uh, I remember asking him, how much do you think this kid knows? And... Uh, L's response, he looks at me like really mad at me. Like, he goes, everything. All right, well, that's over. All right. So I left it alone. I moved on. Finished up with what we were doing or getting organized, getting ready to exfil and leave. And uh, I never thought about it again. It wasn't until shit, probably 10 it's probably 2004 or say 2014, maybe 12 years later, 'm sitting in my basement by myself, and I just it hit me. Ed was thinking I was thinking about when I asked him how much you think this kid knows, and uh. His response, I, I never thought, like I said, I never thought twice about it. And it just hit me like he, I think he thought I was talking about letting him go. <laughs> you were going to off him. Oh, yeah. So I'd saved his life by saying everything because he turned into an intelligence asset. I think, I, I don't know. I, it just hit me like, honestly, I never thought about it again after that. And so. Some random day where it popped up, literally out of nowhere. It wasn't like I was sitting there dwelling on the past or anything. Uh, I think he thought I wanted to let him go. Like, what the fuck? That was never no. No, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to take him in the backyard and put one, put a couple in his face. A, uh, that's a bit extreme, but a, uh, a, uh, I mean that's just a professionalism of Ed and handling the situation better than I was. I mean, maybe he wasn't the one getting shot at, at the, for that particular raid, but I could, at the time, like I said, I didn't realize the progression where my mind was going. And I'm not saying I was wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and uh, apologize for it either. I'm just stating a story here of what happened. Um, I just realized the significance of it about around 12 years later. Um, but the main thing I took from this raid wasn't my uh, issues. Well, it was about Jimmy holding rear security. So now I'm going to jump around here for a second and talk about oops, lessons learned that I have, which I yeah. want to talk about later, but I'm going to talk about one right now. There some struggles, yeah. The, uh, about tactical discipline and how it absolutely transfers over to the fire service. The... Uh, the only reason, and there's no way anybody can convince me other, the only reason that I'm alive is because of two things. Our 
tactical discipline and the enemy's lack of tactical, tactical discipline. Let's go back to Fallujah when Dave was killed. I saw Dave get hit. He went down. I froze. Like, I already, I already addressed this whole thing. I, I, for some reason, my body made a decision to just go limp and fall down like I was dead. I, it, I, I guess it ended up being a good decision in the long run, but definitely not the right decision. I could feel the rounds going all around me. I've already told the story, so I don't, I don't want to sit here and tell the story twice, but anybody that has any marks, marksmanship training knows about sight alignment, sight picture, all this stuff. What happens when you focus on the target and not your front sight tip? You shoot everywhere but the target. You, you guys are shaking your head. Yep. Do you know what he's talking about? And, I mean, my mom will sit there. I've told my mom most of these stories, maybe not in such detail. She's going to hear them now. But she's got this. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I don't judge people, but... She's got this great theory that my grandpa or my grandpa is there protecting me. And whatever, to each his own. I'm not going to judge anybody for their beliefs, whatever. It, it's funny. Whatever makes her accept it. But uh, to me, that's a fact. Uh, the lack of en enemy discipline, tactical discipline, uh, the fact that he wasn't disciplined enough to focus on his front sight post instead of, instead of me is the only reason I'm alive, and nobody will ever convince me otherwise. Uh, fast forward to the radio I was just talking about with Jimmy. The fact that Jimmy was absolutely disciplined is the only reason the three targets didn't come around to the back where I was by myself, pure coincidence, was the only reason why I'm alive from that, right? Or at least significant issue in the back of the house. Was he actually rear security in that stack when you guys conducted the raid? No, Jimmy, <laughs> funny thing about Jimmy was he was always, at the, he was one of those guys that was always at the front of the stack. Okay. He was uh, Jimmy. So how did he wind up in that position? Because we hit the prayer room. The way, uh, I explained it in uh, Tom's raid, where it's a uh, attached room, but you can't get to the rest of the house. It's only an exterior access. Okay. Um, so by doing that, you just kind of the flow worked out that way, where he was left last instead of first. Because he, he went in. Now you got to reverse out, so that exactly. puts him in the back. Right. It's just the way it flowed. It's just okay. Is it like a detached garage almost? No, it's like an attached garage that you can't get but in the house But it's walled with. off. Yeah. Okay. But you can't it. get in the house with it. Right. Okay. That'd be a good comparison. Yeah. Attached okay. garage with no entrance to no the house. No entrance yeah. to the house. Got it. But with only a man door to get to it. Yeah. So, uh, tactical discipline. I mean, it, it, it was in, absolutely ingrained into me so, after that moment. So, what, what happened to Jimmy from that raid? You said that he sustained a wound. <laughs> um, he was shot in the fat of his chin. And like I said, I believe the, uh, I, I'm not positive, about the drag strap on the back of his gear. Um, he was okay, though. Uh, in fact, he actually, we went to the chow hall when we got back from the raid. And uh, <laughs> we're standing in line, and the cook goes, let me guess, I should, let me see, I should see the other guy. Because <laughs> he had his chin bandaged up. <laughs> Jimmy's like, well, first I shot the son in the chest, and I shot the dad in the face. Can I have more potatoes, please? <laughs> Yeah, Jimmy was okay, but uh, discipline is uh, amazing. I mean, I actually saved lives that day. I no one will ever convince me of the, the those two facts. Yeah, the fact that the enemy lacked discipline and that we had discipline for well, sure. Going back to you know you 
are fully convinced that there was some, you know, divine intervention on your behalf. I'm not. You're not. My my mother was. Your mother. Even even with as lucky and as everything that you you still don't don't subscribe to that a little bit. I don't. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to sit there and say it's not. No, it's true. I, yeah. I don't have one feeling one way or the other. Well, because I wanted to ask. I'm not the most religious You know, guy in Dan the and Fredo, have you been in that situation where you were convinced that there was something? Because you guys are here today, you know, with as my, many holes as you, that you started with. So, my my dad, when I got, I don't know if it was the same time, you know, because it's you know 22nd, 23rd, whatever it was when I got hurt he says that he woke up in the middle of the night had my dad doesn't have nightmares my dad isn't like you know he doesn't sleep very good but he doesn't have nightmares he woke up in the middle of the night like screaming and upset and my mom was like what the hell is wrong with you and he's like i don't know i just have a bad feeling that something fucking happened to and something in fact you know they call me elf yeah Yeah. and uh yeah it was the same time frame yeah and that had happened to a religious my parents are, yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, I believe in God, but like, to which is that, yeah, I whatever, man. Yeah, I'm not really religious, but same thing happened with him and his his mom, my grandma. She was in a uh, nursing home community in Florida. She passed away, and he woke up in the middle of the night or in the morning, whatever time it was that she passed away, and he was like, "Something is fucking wrong," and he got the call like an hour later. Yeah, that she had passed away. What about you, Danny? Nothing. Which I, I would venture to say that you probably, you might have grown up more religious than any of us, right? I mean, your family's pretty, aren't my your mom are, and dad? Yeah, yeah, your parents are really, yeah. yeah. My parents are, uh, my my mother still is, and, and I have, my that that part of me, my belief system was wiped a long time ago. Yeah. My, was that wiped I want because to. of your military I, I, service? I get it. Or before then, yeah? Okay. I I, be, I mean I'm okay with other people thinking that I yeah. I, I I wish I did I believe in right. like I I sent my kids to a Catholic school for a long time until until the archdiocese well that's a whole other story but they wanted some money and closed it down but um, I, I believe in the teachings of it I just I just me personally I have a hard time believing in it I'm not, I don't judge other people for believing in it I encourage other people to really believe in it believe in something it makes no difference to me. But in my story, in the specific story we're telling here, uh, there's no doubt in my mind. We're, we're talking facts uh, about marksmanship here. I mean, it, there's no other way that would have happened. It, 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 the odds are worse than winning the, winning the lottery. I mean, it's it doesn't make any sense. Did you did you feel pretty indestructible when you were out there? No, you didn't. No. I, uh, it's funny that you say that. I, uh, there was never a moment. It, this is going to sound intense, but it's it's not. Uh, when I went on my second deployment, I I thought I was dying. I, I didn't. Uh, it was just the exception I made. It. I didn't have a reason. Well, I think uh, you got humbled early in your well, military yeah. career, so you didn't have. Maybe that's why uh, I uh, I just accepted it. I didn't. I mean, further on through my second deployment, it got to the point where I. Didn't enjoy it. I didn't like to rush. I didn't. I didn't want to get hit. I didn't want to see other guys get hit. I had a on Tom's raid. I I had shrapnel in my legs, and uh, 
afterwards, after Shep, did, I said the story was Shep did the line where he's like, remember, we're not all that different. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. Yeah. I, uh, I was talking to uh, Matt Stevenson, who's unfortunately no longer with us either. Uh, my corner and I had shrapnel in my legs, and we were talking about, uh, he goes, do you want me to put you in for a purple art? And I looked at him like, are you fucking kidding me? I like, mean, this is getting a little ridiculous. Right. He goes, people are going to start to think you suck at this. <laughs> <laughs> like, Can we leave it alone? He's like, I, I mean, think that's a good idea. Bands, right? go, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not walking out of it with four. <laughs> Three is bad enough. <laughs> Enemy marksmanship badge. I like that one. <laughs> that's, that's what some I, guys. I, I actually don't even know it. how I segued into that, but it, it was. Uh, I, I'm just uh, when it comes to that kind of stuff. There, there's there's math involved. There's physics involved. There's no you, there's no divine intervention on a, on a bullet. It's about the, yeah. the grains in the round. I mean, it, it doesn't. You don't. What's what's that? It might be from a movie. A bullet never tells a lie. Some, I, some I, bullshit like that. I believe it. Right? Yeah, for sure. I don't know where it comes from, but. Um, that's the way I accept it. That's the way I accept it. It's the, uh, the, the fact that, uh, they, they lack marksmanship skills and, and that specific incident I'm talking about is the only reason I'm alive and there's no way anybody can ever make me think otherwise. So let's take a step back. This was a father and his kids and a father and his kids to think that he didn't love his kids any more than we love ours. I don't doubt it's that. ridiculous. He loves them. They believe in what they're doing. So it's not that. a matter of belief system. It's not that they're afraid. He's bringing his kids into this fight. And let me stop you for real quick because I don't even remember what the raid was for. Yeah. I believe it might have been for guns, like a shipment of guns. Yeah. They might have thought we were robbing the fucking house. I don't know. Yeah. Right. I don't care yep. right. at that point. That's not my job to care. Oh, that's kind of ignorant. I, I didn't, I didn't yeah. care at that point. Um, but yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. But I, I was seeing red. I, I wanted, I wanted to kill him. He tried to kill me. I want to kill you. That, that's, to me, it makes sense. Yeah. The skill level is what separates us from them. It's I believe not so. that we, they believe in their cause as much as we believe in ours. And the fact that he has his, he has his kids there. I mean, could you imagine being in a war zone with your kid? No. That, oh, I, yeah. could, I could not. So, I could not. So he's putting his kid in harm's way. In that, to that extent, he believes in it. It's just the fact that he has no training, no tactical discipline, no fire yeah. discipline, that we're winning and they're losing. Well, you know, which actually segues me in the, I mean, there might be more, but uh, the training and the discipline carries into the rest of my life. I mean, yeah, it, it's proved. Yeah, I mean, we, it, for we me talked at this about point, that in the, in the first time half. and time again. Yeah. But the significance of training. Yeah. And that doesn't go away with me for the rest of my life. I'm not. I'm not just, okay, I'm done with the military. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I absolutely took that into the fire service for sure. Well, you, when you were telling the story and you talked about how Jimmy put the rounds through the first guy and they went straight through, um, the book, in the book Black Hawk Down, they talk about that the Rangers during Mogadishu, that was their big issue was the rounds that they were using um, at that time, they were doing the exact same thing. They were going through these guys, and it wasn't taking them out of the fight. Uh, and so, I have a yeah. I have a theory about that. Um, we they didn't grow up watching Rambo. They didn't. They don't realize it's supposed to go down when they're shot. You know what I mean? They don't realize that they're dead yet, so they're going to get off twenty seconds more of shooting. Um, 
we have this weird culture, and this is absolutely my belief. This isn't the Marine Corps belief. This isn't Second Force Reconnaissance belief. It, for some reason, every training we do, we prepare as if we lose. There's always an, an injured. There's always an exfil. There's always an E&E. But we don't need to be training to lose. We need to be training to win. Now, we can separate training for dealing with injured, and we can separate training for E&E, but when we're doing raids, we need to train to win. And that's what I I love, jump forward, about when I got a chance to uh, teach for uh, Illinois Fire Service Institute. You got the Rin Under Fire. It's a class directly related to rescue on our own. But we're not doing that during engine operations or truck operations. We're learning engine operations and truck operations. Separate that. Don't train to lose. Train to win. They don't realize that they're dead yet. They don't realize that they're supposed to go down when they're shot. So that's where I got when I went back to that hostage rescue where I, I kicked the guy the first time. I said a month later or whatever I said to the chest one ahead, and I progressed. Well, that's part of the reason of that, the knowledge of the deployment and the knowledge of the theater and the enemy and everything. You, you grow with your tactics. That, that's just... Smart to me. I mean, I, I, we were advancing. I, it, it makes sense to me. It sounds a, a bit much to some people, I'm sure, but they're not in that theater operating. Dan, we were using depleted urine. What what kind of rounds were we using? Where they were like kind of armor piercing or something? Because I had the same problem that you're talking about. Like you put rounds through a guy and he's not fucking going the, down. The depleted uranium was like the A10. Armor piercing was like the the. Uh, heavy machine guns. There was something about the green our tip. rounds. Okay. The green tip two two three. Yeah. It's too too small, too fast. Yeah. Okay. We actually our biggest after action reports from our entire deployment, which is pretty significant because of the amount of action we had in the brief period of time. This is all over six months, um, and I'm only talking about some of the certain ones. I mean, we were like I said, we were extremely successful raids in between there. Um, were the size of the round and speed of round, which directly impacted guys uh, being deployed with uh, 308 versions of M4. I don't know what they called them anyway. I was already out by that time. Bigger bigger rounds, bigger, slower rounds. Huge, significant change. Yeah. And then, uh, what was the other one? There's two of them. Oh, and then the fact that when I was in Fallujah with Dave's incident, uh, when I, my magazine guy shot in my rifle, I had a double-stacked mag there. Yeah. You press a button, one drops, you put the other in. It's yeah. like an attachment. Mm-hmm. The round never made it through the second magazine. So after that, we started wearing double mags on our sides because that's where Tom was killed. Tom had his arms up, you know, at the ready with the weapon, yeah. and it, he got shot in the side yeah. right through the heart. We started putting double stack mags in the side. It's not comfortable. It's bulky, but we didn't have side plates at the time. Now they yeah. have side plates and everything. No, we didn't either. We had those front ones and the but back ones. But that directly related from my my, my yeah. rifle getting shot. And then it actually, after I was already out, Rob Gilbert from 5th Platoon got deployed. And, uh, fuck. Yeah. So you were back, and he was over there. Yeah, I was already out of the Marine Corps, and uh, he got shot 
in in the doubles bag magazine on his side. Like, holy fuck, it actually worked. I was proud of that. Yeah. You know, that it came from something we did as a platoon. He was killed about a week later. But uh, the fact that that incident was, I thought that was pretty significant, pretty special, you know. Dan, when you were in Afghanistan, were they all fucked up on drugs? Was Some. that, right? Some. I had never dealt okay. with any of that. I, I remember hearing stories, I don't know if it was after however long, where you like. Were you still in, or was it after you got out? Uh, it was after I was deployed, so oh, I don't okay. remember if I was in the National Guard or if I was still active duty and sure. not on deployment, but they were telling us that they were all fucked up on some sort of drug that kept them going. Well, cat. that that was the, yeah, that cat, that was is the, that in Mogadishu, okay. that, that was Same the other shit, issue. Yeah. Or heroin, right? <laughs> in Afghanistan, it was heroin. They yeah. grow poppies, and they harvest the poppies and hashish, which is marijuana. So they, they, they Does friendlies it. do it too? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I figured. Everybody does. Yeah. yeah Everybody's doing it. Friendlies yeah. meaning yeah. they're friendly. All right, right. All right. All right. Everybody does it. Our Afghans, their Afghans, everybody does it. Yeah. I just remember the 556 is what I remember the designation of the round being. And yeah, they were going right yeah, through. Yeah, 556 for military, civilian version is 223. That's yeah. right. I said 223. So yeah. it was always it was always 556, and they were going right through guys, yeah. and they were not going down. So yeah. we, in, in Fallujah, we had a mortar team come out. We were on the roof, uh, in windows and on the rooftop. And this three-man mortar team comes out, and they start setting up, like, right in the backyard of this house. And we're like, is this really happening right now? Are these guys retarded? What are they doing? <laughs> Didn't realize two of my guys shot the shit out of these guys, and they still got one of their mortars off. We're like, yeah. are you kidding me? Yeah. How does that even happen? Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's why, I mean, if you're, you know, we've fought with patients that are fucked up on yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? No matter how many guys you got and how much said you hit them with or whatever, they're still fucking fighting. And that reminded me of, like, I, you know, put five rounds through this fucking guy and he's still coming at me. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know. But that's that's kind of the significance I was talking about with Jimmy, with taking the, the to be able to be that disciplined while that guy's shooting. He, he knows that guy's dead. Even though he's still shooting at you, he knows that guy's dead. Yeah. As crazy as that sounds, yeah. and he's going to the other guy. And he—I mean, it was—I'm telling you, textbook yeah. shot. It was—it was beautiful. But um, so, is this toward the end of your career then? This raid with Jimmy? We're almost there. Yeah, it's uh, getting there. So, any any struggles you're dealing with after? Yeah. So actually, that's perfect time. Actually, um, so after that, I kind of really, really started struggling, and I can't put a. Uh, a name or a word to it. It was while you're there. Yeah, yeah, I'm still there. It wasn't a self-preservation. It wasn't worrying about the other guys. It was more or less like I just didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> as stupid as that sounds, uh, I started getting real sick, and I started having this stomach pain. It sounds so stupid. And uh, one of my buddies, I talked to every once in a while. He always asked me, "He's like, how's your belly ache?" You know. <laughs> How's your tum uh, But it was to the point where I, like, I, I would be in so much pain I couldn't even stand, and I was throwing up. Yeah. And I ended up later on in my life getting diagnosed with diverticulitis because of it. But at the time, we didn't know what the hell it was. Right. I was in Iraq. They right. were talking about sending me home. I'm like, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going home for a right. fucking stomach ache. Yeah. <laughs> I'll figure this out. Um, and I was just unhappy. You know, I, I wasn't enjoying the deployment anymore, sitting by myself. You know, we get our shipment of booze in. It's kind of funny. We'd have to trade with the SF guys, 
they could get the booze. Yes. And we can get the ammo. Yeah. So we were, trade, we were trade a case of grenades, hand grenades, <laughs> for a case of Heineken or Foster's. That's all we can get. It was Heineken or Foster's. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how many fucking grenades do you guys throw? You know? <laughs> um, sitting by myself, and I think... The other guys, especially like Jimmy, Robert, and Scott, realized I, w- I was really struggling. I say, were you, so you're kind of like self isolated. Yeah, absolutely, at this point. absolutely. Um, are you cognizant about what's going on with you right now, or is this all in retrospect that you look back and was like, "Man, I was fucked up." But in the moment, you you have no idea that because I don't. By I all can, accounts, it's not like you're that. you're knee deep in PTSD, right? I imagine so. I at the time I. I I wouldn't. I can't sit here and say that I knew something was wrong at the time, but I was just like so angry. Like I, I couldn't get up for a raid, and then I couldn't get down for after the raid. Like if there, we were doing a raid, I was I was sit there. And I would listen to like the hardest metal, hardest music I could find. To the point where I was. This is gonna sound so stupid. I was listening to like babies crying, glass breaking, shit that would make me mad. Like over and over again. It sounds extreme, but. And then I would come back and I would listen. I remember, like, the softest music I could think of, like, the cores, like some Irish female band. <laughs> like, I would listen to it. Just I, I couldn't control it. I had a hard time with it. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I think it became obvious to other people. And that's something I definitely struggled with because I didn't want them to think I was letting them down. And I don't think they think that. But there's always that thought, I guess, if, if that makes any sense, what I just said. Um, and I remember Shep and uh, Robert kind of called me out on it one time. And when I say called me out, now just checking up on me. And we kind of brushed it off and everything. And uh, the uh, they asked us, like, they... And I think this is directed towards me. And I don't know if I was the only one. I wasn't paying attention too much to the other people. And maybe shame on me for that. But they said if anybody's struggling with stuff, like, hey, take a break. It's okay. And uh, so I'm like, well, fuck that. <laughs> like, I can't do that. Like, I'm just like, admitting it, you know. So I did a couple more raids. And I was, I was like, fuck this. And my head wasn't in it. And I felt like I was a hindrance more than an asset. And I always felt like I was one of the more aggressive ones. I was always towards the front. And so the fact that I wasn't there, I felt like I was leaving the other guys that were always at the front hanging. And so uh, one day I went up and I asked. I was like, you know what? I think I need to take a take a duck. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. It fucking killed me. And I, I remember the look. And he was like, all right. I think it was like, to me... And it's just me making peace of it now. It was like, fucking finally. Like, <laughs> we waited for you to say that for a while. All fucking time. <laughs> I, I honestly believe that it was meant, toward, meant towards me. I don't know if anybody else took him off on it. I never paid attention to it. And I don't know if they were paying attention to me. But uh, you said I, you had good leaders. I did. Do you I, think they were paying attention to you? I know they were paying attention to me. I know they were. And that look that you perceived is about oh. fucking time. You finally, everybody else figured it out. Yeah. It's about time you figure it out. Yeah. And I knew, I, I I knew the whole time. I just kind of gave, finally gave in. Um, so they let me sit out a raid, and uh, I set out two raids. 
the uh, first raid I set out. Not raid, it was a mission. It was a yeah, different kind of mission. I'm not going to get into details, but uh, I didn't even go on it. I sat in the tent by myself. I was sick. I couldn't even, like, I physically couldn't go on it. My, uh, my stomach was messed up. I, I was throwing up. And it wasn't like a nerves feeling. It was just a sick feeling. It was like my stomach was on fire. And uh, all of a sudden, like, towards the end of the night, I didn't, I didn't turn on the, I didn't have the radio. I didn't know what the company was doing or the platoon was doing. And uh, all of a sudden, I know where Kenny comes walking in the tent. They came back, and he throws the shit down. I said, "Frank's going home." I was like, "Fuck." The opinions and views are that of Chicago's Bravest Stories podcast and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations.